Welcome to Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, we educate, and we inform. We are sponsored by azfirearms.com, the biggest little gun shop in Arizona. We are excited today to be talking with Jonathan Fisher. Now, Jonathan is the founding member of the West Hollywood chapter of the Pink Pistols, and they're one of the fastest growing chapters since the Orlando Massacre. Now, Jonathan is also a freelance television editor and producer, and I definitely want to talk to him about some of that as well. But before we go any further, welcome to the show, Jonathan. Thank you so much, Cheryl. It's great to be here. Now, the reason that I grabbed you right at this moment in time to bring you on to Gun Freedom Radio is because you and a few of your good friends were just recently on a Comedy Central program. It was called Problematic. And I'm going to let you tell me what the host name is because I'm afraid I'm going to mispronounce it. It's uh, Moshe Kasher, who is a stand-up comedian and convinced Comedy Central, I suppose, last year to uh, give him enough money to create a TV show. And uh, so far, I really think that uh, the show came out very, very well, and it was a very positive thing. Um, and I got to be on television with my friends, and we got to uh, kind of go through and kind of explain our position on the Second Amendment and on gay rights and gun rights. Well, I thought it was like when I first saw on Facebook that the the link came through, I kind of held my breath because I thought, oh my gosh, you know, Comedy Central, I don't really know if they're sort of liberal leaning politically speaking, but so many, you know, entertainers are. Yeah. Yeah, and I are. thought, oh, this could this could just go so badly. But because of who shared it with me, I thought it must have gone well, you know. <laughs> But it, yeah. you just always kind of hold your breath thinking, are they going to just, you know, come in for the, you know, the kidney punch because oh, yeah. we put ourselves out there and, and we're talking about, you know, the big, bad, evil three-letter word, gun. Um, <laughs> but I, I thought it was very entertaining, very well done, and I did not feel like we, the firearm, American firearm owner, was the butt of the joke. There were a couple of cute little barbs, but it, it, I didn't feel like, oh, that was uncomfortable. This was a risk. This was a calculated risk um, that we all took, the four of us took. Uh, we had uh, Piper and Carissa come up from San Diego. We had Chris Chang, uh, the, you know, the firearm community uh, just adores because he's, he really is just a uh, just a very kind soul in the gun community and he's uh, no stranger to the gun community and uh, God bless him He actually blew about 400 bucks and uh, got a last-minute flight all the way down to Burbank Airport just for the day And I just picked him up and I was like wow, that's <laughs> that's commitment this was a risk to Take for a lot of reasons and we realized that it was a calculated. I think that we as I said before it was a calculated risk that we thought even though that they were definitely not a pro-gun TV show, that they may give us a fair shot. And um, obviously we signed NDAs, but I will offer just the suggestion that, of course, they filmed us for far longer than just a three-and-a-half-minute piece. So being a television <laughs> editor, <out> there. <laughs> there's so much more. Yeah, I mean, we were, we were shooting for almost two hours, 
So, you know, if you're really talking about that from being a pretty deep well of footage, I knew that there was a chance that um, we could be misportrayed, um, even just slightly. And that was not really the case. That was not the case at all. See, that's wonderful. And I am going to uh, play a little clip of that uh, in just a second. But even, you know, having a, a radio show called Gun Freedom Radio, yeah. I do a lot of relationship building before I even ask guests to come on, uh, just so that they, they fully know and can relax and trust that, you know, I'm not here to make anybody uncomfortable or look bad. And that's just not always the case with any kind of media. And so um, when somebody even comes on my show that I, I know how safe it is, I just feel like, God bless you. And thank you so much for putting yourself in a potentially uncomfortable situation. And then here you and I, we barely exchanged a couple of emails and you're like, yes, I'm in. I'll come on. I'm like, you were so amazing. <laughs> thank you so, so well, much. You're very welcome. Yeah. Again, I had a feeling that I would be, it would be a little bit more of a relaxed atmosphere um, on, a, on a show like this. Yes. Uh, I will say that, um, truth be told, that uh, I, at one point um, I did kind of pull my hands up from uh, my thighs and I realized that there were these uh, two sweat prints of my hands on my, <laughs> on my khakis. And I was like, dear God, this sweat factor um, is, it, it, it is a real thing. It's anyway. <laughs> All right. Let me play this uh, clip real quick from the problematic with... Moshi Kasher. Moshe Kasher. Yeah. All right, here we go. Text pistols. Check it out. So tell me, what are the Pink Pistols? Pink Pistols is a national LGBT self-defense organization. We're heavily focused on training the LGBT community in armed and unarmed self-defense. For a lot of people, Orlando made individuals question, do I need a firearm for self-defense. Mm -hmm. You know, when seconds count, the police are often minutes or hours away. A 100-pound female has a chance against four linebackers if she's carrying. Seems like an oddly specific situation. Would you consider yourselves politically liberal, conservative, or neither? My views are probably some of the ones that line up with the gays from the 60s and 70s, where it's like, hey, man, look, mom and dad kicked you out. You know, no one wants you. you you're going to have to move to the city, kid, and you're on your own. But this is the opening scene from Rant. Is that right? Yes, it is. <laughs> How does it go? 500, minutes. The cops will take to get to you. That's why I own a gun. Was it harder to come out as a gun owner or as a queer person? So I'm going to pause there because I think that's a great question. Um, but let's lean first back on your answer. So a lot of people in the, the gun community, if we can even really call it that, right? Because uh, there is a side of a political side that wants to characterize the American gun owner and uh, or make create a caricature of. Yeah. And you don't fit that caricature and I don't fit that caricature. So um, I don't, I don't really know when we say the gun community if we're even using the right term. Okay. Well, let's actually take a step back here. And this is where a lot of your listeners are going to probably have to uh, sit back and have kind of an aha moment. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, 
I will tell you, this is something that is going to sound a little rehearsed because I've said it a few times, but I've said it directly to friends uh, who are uh, friends who are heterosexual and uh, they don't really uh, think about this, but uh, being identifying as uh, a gun owner and identifying as a member of the gay community uh, in general, um, they are two things that are very, very much the same that people don't necessarily understand. Uh, the similarities where it's just kind of how I am. Yeah, I own guns. Yes, I, I practice self-defense. Yes, I was at the range just yesterday with all my friends. Yes, all of my friends are completely different from one each other. It's like, you know, we've, uh, we've got the big Egyptian guy. We've got the sassy black dude. We've got the the newer gun owner who's like a straight guy. We've got all these. We have every, uh, every color, creed, nationality, uh, gender. We have everybody at any range. And any gun owner will tell you that. There's no typical gun owner. We know that that is BS, that uh, the caricature of that, that anyone who's against guns likes to portray is BS. That doesn't exist. At the same time, there's no typical member of the gay community. At the very same time, there's nothing like that. People tell me all the time in a sense that's not necessarily rude, but it does kind of come off a, a little bit rude. That's, they say, well, you're not a very typical gay guy. You know, you, you, you don't, don't talk with a list. You don't right? seem gay. You know, you drive this giant uh, Wrangler that was a third life crisis that you picked up for $40,000. You know, all these things that, you know, uh, that I, and I, it's not to say I take it as a compliment necessarily or even an insult, but it, it, I just kind of chuckle now. And maybe it's the fact that now I'm a little bit older and the outrage theatrics are long behind me at the age of 39. But I just think that, I think that people now understand that there's a similarity between being this typical gay guy that doesn't really exist or a typical gun owner that doesn't really exist. We know that those kinds of things are just fallacies. They're falsehoods. It's something that's a complete and utter fabrication. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's such a, an excellent point. And I'm glad you brought that up. Um, and so compound that now by how many new uh, faces we have coming into uh, awareness of the Second Amendment, support of the Second Amendment, enacting of the Second Amendment, uh, the whole younger group of the millennials that are coming into the field, after this last election, we are seeing a lot more um, people that would politically identify with being liberal coming in. So uh, it, it's such a diverse community, and it's, it's beautiful to be able to pause for a minute and realize that the Second Amendment and gun ownership is not a left issue, it's not a right issue, it's not a conservative or a liberal, it's an American yeah. yes. God-given right that's secured by the um, Second Amendment. But for the younger people that, you know, maybe they don't even really understand, what are we talking about, Second Amendment, all of that? That's what we're here to do is, is to educate uh, and put those and tie those things together, um, take them back to the constitutionality of things. Uh, but what I really want to get to right now is the younger group, when you said in your, your Comedy Central thing uh, about you know, kind of back in the 60s and 70s, how parents were, how society was. Um, help us understand that. What, how is that different from today for people that didn't live through the, the years? And I'm 10 years older than you are, so <laughs> I didn't live through the years that we did. Right, and I didn't, and I, naturally, I, I did not live through these years at, uh, at all, but I, I know it secondhand from, uh, from friends uh, the, 
growing up in West Hollywood, before it was even West Hollywood, the town was only incorporated, the city was only incorporated within LA County in 1984. Uh, so it's, you know, it's 35 years old. But then, um, and then you look at San Francisco and the Castro from the 60s and 70s. The reason the gay community became so strong um, was not because of some sort of uh, marionetting from the Democrat Party or anything like that. It was, uh, it was not really the case. That wasn't until even uh, you know, deep into the specter of AIDS uh, that was taking so many of, uh, of our brothers and sisters. But I think if you look back at the history of it, if you look back at how, say, Stonewall happened in New York, uh, the Stonewall riots, you know, these were people who had nothing. They would come from backgrounds of very conservative families. I've, I come from a very loving family. I don't know. I don't, I don't know what it's like to be kicked out of your house, but I, I can. I can definitely. I can damn well imagine it. Mm. If if you are growing up in a community that suddenly embraces your values as a gay person, and if you are living amongst um, brothers and sisters that say, hey, yeah, I'm just like you, mm -hmm. um, then there's a sense of belonging. Mm -hmm. There's a rugged sense of individualism, but if you have these groups of individuals working toward a common cause in the common neighborhood, and they say, well, if we don't, if we don't have this safe world of ours, well, let's just make one. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how it was back then, where uh, I think that the reason there was such a tight, there was such a tight sense of community in these uh, bastions of um, of the new gay society and the new gay, gay communities in Western countries was because of uh, of this uh, need for camaraderie. Mm. You know that's so true. I mean, don't they say that nothing unites like a common enemy? That's right. right? And when you're always seen as the outsider, and you know, that's something that I was saying through the last whole election season is that. You know, if you've ever been part of a minority of any kind, if you've ever been marginalized in any way, you should be the, on the front lines fighting for every syllable of right. the Second Amendment. Um, and so I, I think that people are, are understanding that. And, and maybe, and you'll have to tell me this, but his next question uh, in the Comedy Central thing was, which was harder, coming out as gay or coming out as a gun owner? And uh, you each had um, interesting answers to that. Um, and so from your perspective, your personal experience, and then your perspective, what would you say about that? Um, I think that coming out as a gun owner to liberal friends is still difficult to this day. And it's something that obviously it's an ongoing thing. Coming out as gay to family and friends um, was probably the darkest chapter of my adult life. Mm. It was difficult because what you're really saying to that person uh, that who loves you is, you know, people don't, I don't think that, uh, that people can really appreciate it until I say that, yes, but you're, what you're saying to that person is that I, I love you, you love me, but I've been lying to you mm. for uh, much of my, my life mm. about something very important, and you can't take that back, right. no matter what. Yeah. So that's hard. That is hard. And something that uh, it's, uh, I, I think that for the people who had very easy uh, coming out stories, well, you know, good for them. 
but uh, yeah, for yeah, for me, it was yeah, that was hard. That was really hard on uh, on my family. I think so. Yeah. No, I I uh, I haven't walked that walk. I haven't lived that that life. But um, you know, when I was in college, I had a friend who was just so dear to me, and it took probably a year and a half before. You know, we were out to drink, out for drinks as a group one night, and he had enough alcohol that he got up the nerve, and he's like, "Okay, and I'm gay." And I thought, oh, it just broke my heart because first of all, I was like, "Well, duh, I knew that," yeah. <laughs> and second of all, it just made me um, sad to think that you know he walks around with this whole part of him that he feels the need to to keep silent and hidden and then i get to just walk around and be whoever i am yeah that's true and yeah but made me oh, sad. it does but then at the same time i can flip it around to the gun owner and it's it's very similar to concealed carry where uh no one else knows that you're carrying especially if you're doing it right, <laughs> <laughs> right. yeah yeah so it's it's it, the similarities. Um, I know that it sounds like I'm, I'm very biased toward this issue, but similarities really are there. They really are there, especially you know, if you're um, if you're somebody who has uh, if you, who really values the Second Amendment, and you're in an area where um, where people just make assumptions about uh, about gun owners, and, and you just kind of have to keep your head really low, and you don't want to really pipe in on anything, but um, it gnaws at you and it's the same thing as uh if uh you know people are kind of behind enemy lines so to speak and they're in uh, in an area that's um where you're hearing a lot of slurs against gay people and you don't know what to do you kind of have to you know you keep your mouth shut until you don't yeah that's interesting so let's talk about the west hollywood chapter of the pink pistols um I said in the lead-in, it's one of the fastest-growing chapters since the Orlando Massacre. Talk to us about that. What does that mean, the fastest-growing chapter? What kind of success have you had? Well, we decided to, I think that it was the fact that we struck while the iron was hot. We struck while the nation was still reeling from uh, such a revolting experience. Mm -hmm. And... I think that it was just some clever posts on social media that uh, just made it so viral. And we also used calguns.net, which is uh, just a vibrant gun community uh, that is actually now, uh, they work on, on litigation against the state. So they're now their own, they're a very successful nonprofit. And we used all these forums and channels and Facebook and we just kind of got very lucky. And uh, the, membership just rose precipitously so much so that we realized that we would never really be able to house all of the members if any of them wanted to show up in one location. <laughs> that is a um, great problem to have. Yeah, it's a great problem to have. But, you know, we, we have had some very successful shoots. Uh, you know, we try to always have more. It's, it's hard to always nail down a place that, that can take, you know, potentially dozens of people or something. But, and we try to get people to RSVP, but so far the ranges really love us. And uh, we're always respectful, and uh, there's, you know, every, especially we're always very safe. So the uh, the gun community loves us, and we've never really experienced any kind of a slur or any kind of a slight against any of us. They love us. That's fantastic, and I I think that it's so wonderful that 
right from the, the first time I ever even heard about the pink pistols, it was made very clear to me that you don't check ID at the door to make sure that everybody that joins is of the LGBTQ community. Right. <laughs> so all are welcome. All are welcome. And yeah. so I think it's just even implied then, since all are welcome, play nice, you know? Yeah, we do. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 leader, of the, the leader of the North Hollywood chapter, Leah, is, uh, is a straight woman who, uh, who's married and has two just adorable sons. Uh, but, you know, she was deeply affected by Orlando and she was an activist and she decided to go and found a chapter, even though she's not necessarily a member of the community, but a friend of it. Mm-hmm. So, of course, yeah, it, it's Pink Pistols. We, we uh, <laughs> I think that pe- gay people have been excluded enough from certain things uh, growing up in life sometimes. And, you know, we, we think that uh, being inclusive matters. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I really respect that. So we're, we're running a little tight on time, but I just wanted to talk a little bit about your journey into guns. Was, was this something that came about because of uh, the Orlando shooting? Was it something that came about because you felt unsafe as an adult? Were you raised around guns? Kind of take us through whatever your personal journey was. Sure. Yeah. In brief, um, let's see. I mean, I learned how to shoot in the Boy Scouts, so I've been shooting since I was uh, 12 years old. Then um, I also, of course, uh, practiced on BB guns in the interim of that and then became a gun owner, uh, I think, a little after college, officially. And um, and there's still guns in my parents' house as well, of course. But um, I'm really kind of no stranger to firearms. The thing that was kind of funny was um, after we founded the chapter, there were a lot of new firearm owners uh, who were members of the gay community. And I thought that that was actually, uh, that that was great. They definitely needed training. It was fine. But uh, there was kind of a stereotype that we were encountering with a lot of the, uh, a lot of the the trainers and potential trainers and God bless them. But they kind of all were making assumptions that every one of us was a new gun owner. And I said, well, no, I've I've owned guns for decades, but uh, you know, that guy over there just bought a Glock like, like two weeks ago. So maybe you should really, you know, focus on him, but you know, they, and they couldn't believe that, uh, that some of us had been shooting for decades. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny how, you know, we just get these ideas in our head and, yeah. um, but you know, it, that's an eye-opening experience for that person. So I think that's still a plus, you know, maybe they'll oh, yes. oh, definitely inquire is. first, seek first to understand, and then, you know, open your mouth before your foot goes in. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the, uh, your other life, your freelance television editor and producer hat that you wear. Yes. Um, I noticed on your Facebook uh, post that you wrote on there that you had been part of BattleBots. So I immediately shared that with my son-in-law and he geeked out entirely. (laughs) (laughs) Had me watching BattleBots with with him and it's actually a cool show. It's a very fun show. It's a, it's a very dynamic show to work on and people, a lot of people believe that because of the fact that it looks uh, like, like some kind of a live arena show that uh, it must be something that's very easy to put together. But no, I, I can assure you it's a very, very complex show and, it's uh, you know it was probably one of the hep- the from a standpoint of uh, from an editorial standpoint it was extremely heavily staffed um, the, the first season I think that we had um, only four weeks to develop um, the first episode before we aired it well no to shoot the first yeah you know, to shoot and get get through so 
we were, uh, it's something that we call being up against air dates. And uh, I think that you understand what that means. And it's yes. a very, very <laughs> scary notion to have. And, uh, you know, yes. uh, you kind of have to just uh, commit to things very quickly editorially, but at the same time, it's a live show. So, uh, you know, anything could happen. That's the, the sweat factor on that was, uh, was amazing. It really was. I can imagine. Well, and I just thought it was going to just be a major like geek fest. And my son-in-law's into, you know, all kinds of, you know, he is a geek. Um, but uh, it's, it really was very interesting to just kind of, you know, see all the different designs of the, the robots and, you know, the passion of the people making the robots and, you know, then the teams cheering. I, I really, yeah, I was shocked how much I enjoyed it. Um, so what other series have you been a part of and, and do you have anything like big coming up? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I've been working on um, many seasons of Biggest Loser. It's been a little while for that, but uh, you know, I've been working on uh, several Alaska shows in, uh, for Discovery Channel. Um, right now I'm working on the second season of Little Women Dallas, uh, which is a spinoff of uh, the first Little Women show and that's on Lifetime. And uh, you know, I think that every series I've done, I kind of uh, try to take away a certain experience from it. And uh, so far, it's always been a joy to work on. So fun. So, like, specifically, what do you do? Like, what does that mean when I see <laughs> your uh, editor and producer? So editor is the one that, like, ends up slicing and dicing and throwing things on the cutting room floor, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. technically, I'm normally credited as an editor. Um, but the editors for unscripted series, it's a very unique job because, uh, because there is a, not really any kind of a script to speak of. We have to work with, uh, it's called a story team. And then they start to whittle down these several thousand hours of footage that we have down to a more manageable, uh, length. And then we kind of whittle down even more from there and break out the pacing and, uh, trying to actually focus on getting the character arcs uh, right for uh, each hour of, of television. And it's a very, uh, very fast paced job. And similar to being a gun owner, it actually takes a certain degree of precision and muscle memory every single day, uh, or else you're just not going to go home until 10 p.m. So you have to learn. Um, you have to, it's obviously very technical. You have to learn a lot of commands very, very quickly. And it just becomes a part of your hand. That's very cool. And I love how you tied those two things together. So we have to run, but I definitely want you to tell people uh, how can they you know, follow you or follow your, your chapter of the Pink Pistols? Um, because I know that people are going to want to, you know, pull into community. And that's one thing that people don't, a lot of the people on the other side of the argument about whether guns are good or bad, they don't understand what a community um, is built around uh, hunting together, taking training together, you know, all those sorts of things. So how can folks uh, reach out to you and Pink Pistols? Sure, Cheryl. Uh, well, you can find us anytime at pinkpistols.org and find some local chapters there. But uh, some of the better ways we've noticed lately in the last couple of years to connect with your local chapters to find them on Facebook. Uh, so I would, I would recommend to anybody who's uh, living uh, you know, near a chapter that to just find them on Facebook. And uh, if, if there's a chapter that's not even really in, uh, near you, then uh, you, you can contact the national board and uh, figure out a way to make your own. I like that. There's a challenge in there. That's a what challenge I in there. 
right? Don't wait for someone else to do it. Step up like you did. (laughs) Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Jonathan Fisher of the West Hollywood chapter of the Pink Pistols. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you, Cheryl. That was wonderful. Thank you. Thank you.